Good morning, church. I guess I can move this. Might not need it right now. It's good to see a number of you here this morning. It's good to be back in church after a few weeks of absence. We have been in Australia. I was there for two weeks. My wife joined me for the second week. And then after we returned from Australia, we took a week off. And actually, last weekend, we were camping close by, but we didn't let anyone know that because you know how that goes. We were at Cottage Grove Lake, and it was just nice to relax for a few days with my wife. And uh, we had a good trip um, to Australia. Uh, It's nice to see a few visitors here today. Gerald and Gail, welcome. We go way, way back to the 1980s. Some of you weren't even born then, Um, but uh, Gerald had played a huge role, a pivotal role, and I don't know if I've ever thanked you for that, but a pivotal role in, uh, in helping me uh, in a time in my life um, when I really needed to be reminded that God has an organized body that he works through. And uh, it was through a process of church discipline that um, I was able to come to a place where I believe um, I could be standing here today. I don't know if I would be here today if it wasn't for that. And I really... Uh, appreciate and respect and thank you for that. It was a very tough decision for you, I know, back then. So we're bonded at the hip from way back in our church relationship, and it's good to see you here with your wife today. Um, We were in Australia. I was there for a couple weeks. We have a school that we do in Australia, Rise Australia, and we usually um, have a number of students there. Actually, the last two years, we've maxed out at 44 students. It's in the It's in the North New South Wales Conference, and it is supported by the local conference and now by the division, and it is impacting uh, that division in a very powerful way. We had 23 teenagers as part of that school this year, and it was a little challenging, you know, with teenagers. They're just coming out of the home, and they're living independently in these little uh, places where they're uh, learning how to do ministry. But 29 of those 44 students are going to return for a six-month, what they call a Rise for Life program. They're going to be working in Newcastle, doing preparation for an evangelistic outreach that it was written with John Bradshaw is going to be doing early next year. So pray for those young people, those students, and the program. I'll just give you a little bit of a testimony that kind of summarizes what we went through there. There was a young lady who was part of the program. Her name was uh, Emma. She was led out in music, and she made two solid resolves before coming to Arise. She said, I will not become a Sevi. Now, that's short for a Seventh-day Adventist. In Australia, they shorten everything. A wetsuit is called a Weddy, and a Seventh-day Adventist is called a Sevi. She said, I will not become a Sevi, and I will not be baptized. And, And she shared that uh, at her baptismal testimony. So it was really amazing. She came out of uh, uh, a lesbian lifestyle, a relationship, came to the Arise course, and through the whole process of that course, surrendered her heart to Jesus, was baptized, and is now on fire for God. And I just want to say, praise God for how he works. And we're over there, we're just teaching him, preaching and sharing with the students, and God is working you know, through all of our failures and imperfections to bring people to, to him. And I just I find it to be an honor to be part of that work. And of course, you support that in, in all that you do in your prayers and supporting 
of our ministry. And then Reese joined me. We had a great time with the young people. We did some uh, relational uh, meetings with them and myself and Matt Parra. He's working. He's the accomplished uh, uh, guy there. He, he and I talked to the guys and Reese and her, his wife talked to the girls. And then we switched and they talked to the guys and we talked to the girls. And it was really good because these guys got to ask questions and really, you know, we talked, we had some really comfortable but very practical talk about relationships and the like. So it was, it was a good experience. And so I come back to you now with uh, a message that I really believe God has put on my heart. I don't think this is what I've come to you with. I think it's what God has done. They asked me to share a message when I was over in Arise for the young people. Every Friday they have what they call Friday. I don't know where they get that from or what it means. Um, but it's young people getting together. They had about 140 young people at this first Friday. And uh, about 40% of them, they said, were not even Christians. That were just the members, the young people in the church inviting their friends from their school or community or whatever to this Friday. So they gave me a heads up on that. But they're, they're going through a basic outline of the book Steps to Christ. And that particular Friday, the theme was confession. So they asked me to speak on confession. And they asked me over the phone. They called me and asked me if I would do this before I went. And I thought about it. And the Lord gave me some thoughts. And I said, yes, I'll do it. I believe God is going to give me some thoughts. And so I shared the meeting there. And in the process of sharing that meeting and the, res- the response to it, I said, I really want to share this at my local church and this was, this was like the day after I shared the meeting there. And then, of course, coming back here, I really feel like God has, has put this in place before I even thought about it. But I've changed the title from confession, confession to Defining and Defeating Failure. Defining and Defeating Failure. And it's based on 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. But I just want you to know where this sermon originated, where it came from. So you get a little perspective of where I'm coming from this morning. Let's pray together again. Father in heaven, I just want to pause just for a moment in your presence. Among our brothers and sisters here and those who aren't here, just to ask for a special measure of your grace that you would pour out upon us a piece of heaven and a picture of your heart because all of us stand condemned under the law of God and yet we find grace that is sufficient for each of us wherever we are whatever we're going through and father we need that grace this morning we need that strength this morning not only for us but for one another we ask now as we open your word that it would become precious and priceless to us, that it would speak to us, and that our hearts and minds would be guided to heaven and be guided to a Savior. Do this for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First John chapter 1, and I'd like us to begin in verse 8. Our scripture reading is verse 9, but I thought it would be good for us to start in verse 8. First John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word 
is not in us. And I really do, I really do like that verse, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I really like that it's sandwiched between the other two. It is, it is in a sense, the meat, the veggie meat, of course, the meat and cheese, the veggie meat, the veggie cheese. It, but there are two slices of whole wheat bread on either side of that. Did you notice those two slices of whole wheat bread? Because I remember when I first started eating whole wheat bread, it was really a challenge for me. You see, I was used to Wonder Bread. You ever had Wonder Bread? It's the kind of bread where you can take a slice and you can roll it up into a ball and pop it in your mouth. It's just so light and fluffy. I could eat a whole loaf, no problem. And I remember the first time I ate a, whole, a piece of whole wheat bread. And by the time I was done with that piece of whole wheat bread, I was full, literally full. Like my stomach had no more room in it. Because I just wasn't used to such... such a full piece of bread, a bread that was full of all of the ingredients that, that the, the Wonder Bread had taken out to make it wonderfully light and delicious. And it just satisfied. And there's something about these two verses that, to me, really bring home the gospel. Because what God is saying emphatically here is, if you say you're not a sinner, you are a liar. You are deceived. And you are making God out to be a liar. Isn't there something about that that's just really, in a sense, kind of comforting? Because I think the thing that we struggle with the most in our Christian walk is this idea of guilt and what to do with our guilt. And guilt comes from the idea that we realize that we're sinners. And God is actually emphatically saying to us this morning, don't even think about trying to deny that. <laughs> that's just the reality. That's where you are. It's not an issue of trying to deny that you're a sinner the issue is, what do you do with that? What do you do with the guilt that comes with recognizing that you're a sinner? If you are thinking that you can deny that, you're in deception and you're making me a liar. So don't go that route. Go a different route. What do you do with the guilt? Well, my journey with confession began as a young boy who was raised a Catholic. And as a Catholic, confession made me feel better. I would go to confession, I would tell the priest all the things that I did wrong, and I felt better for a little while. I mean, it was hard to confess to a priest, it was hard to confess to a human, to a man, and, and he would often urge me to confess more, like he would tell him to tell him more, like he would even make suggestions as, as to what I might have done or might not have done. You know, did you lie to your mom? Did you pull your sister's hair? Did you, did you, what, what else did you do? But I felt better for a while. As an alcoholic, which was my next level or stage of experience in my life, I went from a young Catholic into alcoholism. Confession was easier. It was really easy because as an alcoholic, I didn't care about what I was saying. I didn't even know what I was saying sometimes. I was just talking under the influence. But it was hurtful. Under the influence of alcohol, I would confess things without thinking first. Often, I would speak what I might be feeling without even processing those feelings to see if they were really true. So I heard a lot of people under the influence of alcohol and confessing. As a legalist, that was the next step in my journey, as some of us will know. As a legalist, confession was unnecessary. <laughs> Since I was perfect, confession was a sign of weakness. Now, 
today, right here, as a gospel-believing, born-again Christian, confession is the only way I can be free of the load of guilt that constantly bombards me. I find confession to be my friend. It is, as the Bible says, the only way we can know God's word, his truth, is in us. I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I I do a lot of things that I shouldn't do. And I don't do a lot of things that I should do. I think a lot of things I shouldn't think. And that's the nature of the beast. Yet I choose not to identify with it. I don't identify with my failures. And I do this through confession. The definition of failure is the omission of performance, specifically failing to perform a duty or an expected action. Another definition is lack of success, failing in business, falling short, deficiency, decay, someone who has failed. But I want you to notice this, and this is really important. Failure is an event. It's not a person. I fail, but I'm not a failure. You fail, but you are not a failure. Failure is an event. It is not a person. Gospel confession actually frees us up to be the people we were made to be. Guilt keeps us down. Guilt stunts our mental and our emotional and our spiritual growth. But confession prepares us to receive the Holy Spirit. Confession moves us forward to be the person God wants us to be. And that's why the early church began in an upper room confessing their sins one to another. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, and then move into Acts chapter 2. Here's how it reads. It says, And these, Acts 1, 14, all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, and with the women, and Mary, and the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Why were they in one accord? Because they were confessing their sins, not the sins of somebody else. They were confessing their sins. They had previously been confessing the sins of somebody else. Peter was really good at that. Oh, Lord, I know all of them will forsake you, but I won't. (laughs) Based upon my assessment of all the other disciples, I can see that what you're saying is true. But I can't lump myself in with all those guys. But now something had changed because Peter had been the greatest failure of them all, save Judas. And yet... God was encouraging him, don't identify yourself with your failure. I've got a work for you to do, Peter. I want you to feed my flock, feed my flock, feed my sheep. I want you to come out of this failure, and I want you to be the person that I made you to be. And so in the upper room, they're all of one accord because now they're taking hold of their personal responsibility, and they're confessing their sin and their guilt to one another and to Jesus. And those prayers are going to heaven, directly to heaven. And as they go to heaven, they're bathed in the merit, in the righteousness, that is the right doing and the right dying of Jesus, his perfect life and his perfect substitutionary death as us in our behalf. And as a result of that, that merit that none of us have, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came... 
a sound from heaven as a, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there, was, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they're speaking in their words with boldness. And they went about proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's all they could talk about. People told them, stop talking about Jesus. They said, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. He's the only one that we can talk about. It's easy sometimes for us to skip the confession part. I remember when my kids were confronted with their interactions at times. And as parents, you know, we wanted them to be humble and to confess their wrongs to each other. And every once in a while, one of them would say, sorry. That's a form of confession, isn't it? Sorry. And we say, no, 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 that's, that, that's not how it works. It's not, sorry. Okay, let's get to the next stage. Uh, sorry, please forgive me. Like, there are these developments in our experience where sorrow actually becomes deeper and more meaningful. It goes from sorry to sorry, please forgive me, to sorry, please forgive me for hurting you, that is for the thing that I've done to sorry, please forgive me for hurting you. What can I do to reconcile our relationship? Sometimes we stop short in this process of confession and we don't realize the impact that our words and actions have had on other people. But if we're not willing to go deeper in that process, we ourselves are not going to be healed. And God is all about healing us. He's all about working this out of our characters and our hearts so that we can be the people he wants us to be. I think about the foot washing service because that's what we do every year at Arise Australia. We have this agape feast that is preceded by this foot washing service. And it's, it's, it's a reminder because... Foot washing exposes the ugliest, dirtiest part of our bodies, our feet. And sometimes we're kind of embarrassed, you know, to take our socks off and like, oh. And it exposes that ugly, dirty part to be cleaned by a fellow brother and sister, by a fellow family member. Someone else comes to clean that dirty, ugly part of us. It reminds us of the work of Jesus Christ. And he can do that for us. And he longs to do that for us, just like he longed to do it for the disciples. There was no hesitation. There's a song that has, in a sense, been haunting me, but ministering to me for several months now, because it contains a line that, at times, causes me to be filled with so much emotion that that my eyes start to water. And the song is by a group called Mercy Me. I don't know if you're familiar with that group, but the song that they they sing is entitled Dear Younger Me. Dear Younger Me. And it's all about what this older, experienced, spiritual man would say to his younger self. Back, you know, if he had the opportunity. Dear Younger Me, what, what would I say to you? 
And he talks about how he would want this younger me to know the things that he knows now, later on in life, but then maybe not, (laughs) because the very things that he went through made him the person that he is right now. I think, would I want to have a different experience than I had in the 80s? Or maybe it was that experience and that discipline that actually brought me to the place that I am now, and so maybe I wouldn't want that as hard as it was to go through in his as much as I tell other people not to do that today. And then he has this one line in here that, again, just grips my heart. It goes like this. Dear younger me, it's not your fault. You were never meant to carry this beyond the cross. We were never meant to carry guilt. God didn't make us. He didn't create us to carry guilt. We can't bear it. It crushes out our life. He wants to relieve us of that. He wants to relieve every human being on planet Earth of that. He doesn't want us to bear it. He doesn't want us to put it on anyone else. You were never made to carry this beyond the cross. And I think about that line because I think about how guilt has led me so far away from God so many times. How guilt has led me into addiction, into different ways of trying to cope that weren't healthy or good. And then how if I had just known what to do with this guilt, I could have taken a different direction in my life. I could have been saved so many sorrows if I'd have known how to cope with this guilt. There are three people in the Bible who didn't confess who didn't understand this process, who didn't know how to cope with guilt. One of them was Cain. Cain, because he wasn't able to confess and just come out and just give it to God, he became very fearful of other people. He lived with fear for the rest of his life. He asked God for protection. God even put a mark upon him to protect him from the people and nations around him because of his guilt. I'm sure God wanted to tell him as he marked him, Cain, I'm ready to protect you and I'm ready to deal with this guilt if you'll only give it to me. But he refused. Saul. Saul became very insecure in his life because he was unwilling to confess his guilt. He became very insecure as a a king in his position. He became very jealous. He became very envious. He became very mean. He lived with insecurity for the rest of his life. And the way he treated others, like the priests of Nob, and David himself, and even his own son, is all an outworking of his inability to deal with guilt, to process guilt, and to give it to God. And then there was Judas. His unwillingness to confess led him to do one of the most wicked, treacherous things ever committed by a human being. He betrayed the Son of God, his best friend and Savior, and he couldn't live with that guilt. But then there are people who did confess. And they did some bad stuff, like David. I mean, in a sense, David was worse than Saul. Saul simply neglected to kill the king and allowed the people to take a few animals for sacrifice. David committed adultery and then killed the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. And we're like, how could David get away with that? And Saul just cut himself off. Well, because David, when he was confronted, said, I'm the man, I'm guilty, and I give it to God. He processed the guilt. He processed the guilt. 
It wasn't like he was off the hook. He had to live with his actions for the rest of his life, but he was able to live. He was able to survive. He was able to push through it because he gave the guilt to God. Manasseh. If you don't know about Manasseh, let me tell you a little bit about him. Manasseh was one wicked guy. He was the worst. He was worse than Ahab in adultery. He murdered children, passed them through the fire. He was more wicked than any of the kings that were before him. And if you read about his story in 2 Kings, you're going to think that the end of his life, he's lost. But when you get to 2 Chronicles, you realize this guy actually, after being taken captive by the Assyrians, he actually turned his face to God and he was restored into his kingdom and he knew that the Lord was God because he was able to process his guilt and give it to God. He was restored to his kingdom, and he was restored in relationship with God. Paul, who was Saul, persecuted and led innocent people, Christians, to death. He was a religious bigot. He was an extremist, a legalist of the legalists, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, and he admits it freely. And that's the thing about processing guilt. You can actually admit the things you once did because you're free from them in the grace of Jesus Christ. And now you can process all of that and you can confess all of that in a way that can help other people. You don't have to hide it anymore. It becomes a tool. Our failures become tools to help others to recover from the very things that God's recovered us from. We can comfort others where with the comfort we've been comforted of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So here's Paul's confession. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1. These are some of my favorite verses, beginning with verse 12. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. I'm a pattern. As bad as I was, as wicked as I was, I'm a pattern for others who would believe. The grace that God has bestowed onto me is an example of how God can save anyone. Because look at how wicked I was. Confession doesn't mean we're good people. It acknowledges that we're not. Confession allows us to be free from the guilt of being bad people. Selfish people. Mean people. Impatient and unkind. Confession allows us to let go of all of that and to find peace and forgiveness and acceptance, to find joy and purpose and meaning in God and in life. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There's that whole wheat bread again. It's a sandwich I'm ready to eat, with or without the veggie meat. You can just put the lettuce and tomato in there if you want, and maybe some cucumber. God is calling us to confess our sins to God and and our faults to one another, to let our failures go and to be free 
in Christ, in his abundant mercy. Don't let your failures define you. Failure is not an event. Excuse me, failure is an event. It is not a person. I fail and I sin, but I am not a failure. Can you say that with me? I am not a failure. I confess my failures to Jesus. I walk away from the guilt that tries to hold me down. I am not a failure. Can you say that again? I am not a failure. Say it again. I am not a failure. Once more. I am not a failure. When you confess your sin to Christ, you are not guilty. Now live as though you are not guilty. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you this morning that we can stand before you not guilty in Jesus Christ. That we don't have to allow our failures and our sins to define who we are. That we can be free from all of that and we can walk forward to a new beginning each and every day. Thank you that you can make us a new person in Jesus. Continue to do this work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.